And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crack. This is episode number 35, in which we're talking about Indomitus by Gab Thorpe. The book is about the introduction of the Necrons into the Indomitus. Huh? This is the best edition. Oh, it is. This is because. No, no, no. Mine's mine's better because it's Ultramarines Blue. We talked about this, and you're wrong. (laughs) Because chartreuse, and look at the look at the gold. There's gold and red. Anyways, we're professionals, and it's not Friday night, and we haven't been drinking. Anyways, the book is about the introduction of the Necrons into the Indominus campaign, fun with Egyptian space terminators. We posted several questions on our website wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our discussions via Twitter, YouTube, our site, or encrypted box channel. Spoiler warning. If you haven't yet read Indominus, go check out the book and the post and then come back to this episode as we'll be discussing the book from start to finish in great detail. With that, let's dive in. As always, did you like the book? No. I didn't either. You guys, I love Gav Thorpe. Like, there hasn't been a book of his that I haven't liked until now. So, putting my two-star review on Goodreads, it hurt me on the inside a lot. This one, so this was the first book for Warhammer where generally we talk a lot about the books in this podcast and about how they're just good books. They're not, oh, it's really good for a Warhammer book. And like uh, Watchers of the Throne 2, Electric Boogaloo is a good book. It's just a solid book start to finish. Um, it's so much of what we read, right? And for me, it breaks that cognitive association with the fact that we're basically reading books about plastic army men. And this book, it a lot of parts read like a very exciting version of the Sears catalog. And there were a lot of times when I was like, oh yeah, this is just a book about plastic army men, isn't it? And so it really kind of pulled me out of the story, especially when he was describing, like, oh, this is the specific weapon that this guy is using. And my first thought was, oh, yeah, I remember seeing that from the Indominus box. <laughs> I guess and, it helps that I hadn't seen what was in the Indominus box, so I wasn't able to pick up on those little nuances. Fair. And, but, but knowing that that's where you got it from, because when I, you and Ross are both like, this was kind of like a catalog. I'm like, what are you guys even talking about? But you both have looked at the Indominus box set. So that makes sense now. And I think, since I'm looking at our questions, it was, I think it was J- David J. Ray who also said the same thing when he said that it just kind of feels like a commercial for the new models. It, it really did. And we'll talk a little bit more about this, but there were a lot of parts of the book where I was like, what? Is going on here um it i don't know if this was three short stories why i'm making this hand gesture if it was three short stories that got cobbled together into one book or what um i had a lot of questions at uh, the end of the book well my first question is what was the point of part one don't know because my first thought was oh well, clearly it's going to be like the necrons and isn't that a very convoluted ploy to get Oh no, it's not neck. Wait, where'd the ship go? Huh? So I, I had a, I had a very similar take on it. Um, 
I actually kept waiting for that ship to like become relevant at the end. I don't know if it was just kind of a thing where he was like, oh, by the way, this is a problem. There's a, like, I don't know if that was groundwork for another book where we'll see that, that, oh, there's people hunting down and luring in Imperial ships because that idea is pretty, I mean, that's pretty brilliant. I was on really, board with that part. It. I was 100% on totally board. Was. I would like to see more of that. And now that we're saying this, I am almost wondering if that was Mr. Thorpe's original idea. I wonder if it was. And, you know, the reason that I liked it was that I think I've mentioned multiple times that one of my favorite books in the Warhammer catalog is um, the book name that just escaped me, Double Eagle. And it's because Double Eagle is Red Baron in space, except they're on a planet. So this was literally like Red Baron in, in space. Like this idea of luring out these ships, that was so cool. And the whole time I'm like, who could be on that ship? Like what if it's a named character? Like, oh. You know what, that's actually what pissed me off the most is I never got to find out which trader Marines they were. I need to know this for several reasons. One, I want to know when this takes place. Don't even get me started on that. And two, I just need to know. Black Library, please, 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 please bring back the dates. I have a lot of questions around this book. And um, looks like we have a whole question, bullet point about that. So let's, really quickly, let's focus on the positive here. What parts stood out to you? Because there's a part that I really want to call out that stood out to me. And I loved it. And I thought it was brilliant. Because I love this kind of stuff. It's when... There is a transmission when, they, when the Necrons Zozar first land on the planet and they get this transmission and he goes to decode it and the way that they literally decipher it because they don't have words for Arbites and they don't really have a word for the Emperor. So the way that it's very choppy and literal and of course I didn't mark down the page because usually I dog ear my pages and my husband told me if I dog ear this page he'd kill me. Um, something about it being a limited edition. I don't know. <laughs> I suck tonight. Um, but it was one of those things that I was like, that's so clever and that's so fun. I love that kind of stuff. Linguistic humor for everyone. <laughs> Always makes me happy. I, um, uh, I like the part when the navigator t told off Aeschylus. That was great. Oh my God. That was wonderful. I mean, I, that's like the craziest. In general. That, this is the craziest thing about this book is that my favorite characters was the navigator and the astropath. Okay, I never thought I would hear myself say this, especially that first scene when the when the astropath when he starts relaying the message and the lights, and he basically becomes a living, breathing, answering machine. Super creepy. But then toward the end of the book, I was like this character dies, I'm going to riot. Because I really liked him. And I liked the back and forth with him and the chaplain and the judicar. Like, come on, that was great. And Kosa, I loved her. As the description of her just sounded so over-the-top navigator with all the gold rings Oh yeah, I was already, so when they're describing that, I'm just like, typical navigator. I'm already rolling my eyes and prepared not to like her because I didn't like Cheddar for 
kind of the same reasons. And oh no, she's, you know, Chetta was a loud mouth and very pushy. Very, she was your typical noble who, right. I can talk to you however I want and you can't talk back to me because I'm a noble. Whereas Kosa woman... had more authority and she knew yeah. what she was talking about. Well, and I think, unlike Jetta, who is very accustomed to just listen to what I say um, and runs her mouth to an inquisitor, which even you can't do, pumpkin, um, Kosa seemed to very cognizant of the fact of you guys need me and I'm a noble but you're also space marines and you also do have Lord Gulliman's uh, you do have his like seal of approval and you're out here under his jurisdiction so I guess I'll just patiently explain to you why this is a bad idea and I, I don't think Gulliman would appreciate how these people were treating any of the humans on board that is not Marnius Calgar would be clutching his pearls at how these people were treating the humans. The Judicar and the Chaplain, that's within their idiom, right? <laughs> I love when they're talking about how, like, oh my god, like, the warp's not there. Like, th there's something very wrong here. Are you doubting no, you don't understand. Like, one of our guys just got blinded because he looked directly upon the Astronomicon. Sounds like heresy to me. Dude, <laughs> you need some chill. <laughs> well, I'm not even just, I'm not even talking about, about that because I expect the chaplain to be, right, to be right. an ass about most stuff. But I mean, just Aeschylus, when they were talking about how he was like trying to hold back because he just wanted to get so angry. I'm like, dude, you're a leader. You need to chill. I expect this out of the Dark Angels. He was not a good leader. Because you don't give a fuck about anybody when you're the Dark Angels. I totally expect that out of them. Ultramarines were supposed to be supposed to be almost above all of that pettiness. Right. You know, well, um... Yes. Because, like... There's just, this... I mean, there's a whole thing, you know, with Gulliman being, uh, you know, the... He's basically was the crown prince, right? And because he was growing up, he was taught how to be, you know, political and strategic and all those good things. And he tried to get his ultramarines to do that as well. And Marnius Calgar was actually really, really big on it. And a couple of books with Calgar, when people, um, when other ultramarines were getting like sassy with some humans, Calgar would like put his hand on him. It's like, these are the people we're trying to protect. Like, just calm down. And I do look at them very much. You know how the ultramarines remind me of? It, I know you'll understand this because you have kids. When you're around your children's friends or like when you go to a school function and you volunteer to do something, these little bastards are pissing you off. But you have to be patient because you are the adult and you're the one who's been put in charge. And even when they're running their little mouths, you have to be like, now that's not acceptable like you have to be that you have to be the adult in charge and i always right. feel as though the ultramarines really do look down at unaugmented humans as children and that they're the ones who are the adults in this situation i need to be a little patient i will get a, i will lose my temper with you occasionally but i do need to be patient you're what makes the ship run which on that note this is a part that stood out to me as not necessarily like, it's just a weird thing they were really hands-on in the ship. 
Well, and that's the, the other part of it is that not only do they treat these humans so bad, you know, it's more than the parent-child analogy. This is more of not even a parent, but someone who doesn't even like kids, you know, trying to watch after kids and gets so frustrated. And it's like, why are you touching that? Go away. You know, this is why they were so controlling over everything. Well, we can do it better. We are better at this. We can be in charge of this. Guys, that's not what you're meant for. Right. But I also like, and that's, I think that's the, the, what bothered me was this undercurrent of we'll just do it because we'll do it right. Like we've read a lot of space marine books and they're always present on the bridge and making big decisions and helping command things. But these guys were like literally on hands on, on deck, calibrating and changing courses. And I'm like, this is why you have a army of unlocked humans. Like there are people who their entire life, basically they're <laughs> born and they will die doing the function that you are doing. It felt very strange to me. And I guess that it was what it was. It was like, are you guys a control freak? Well, actually just now thinking of this, I was kind of doing a lot of parallels with galaxy and flames. And, and that's, and that's just because of the whole void warfare and everything else. But, you know, one thing about Galaxy and Flames, and, and one thing they really, really focused on, you know, the difference with the, with the Death Guard and the Emperor's children, mm-hmm. um, was uh, the way that they treat the humans and that the Loyalists, look at how Garrow treated humans. Now, then again, he still had, I forget... Uh, Huskarl. He still had one of those, which they, he was mocked for. But look at how Garrow treated the humans. And then mm-hmm. look how the traitor marines treated them. Look at how any of the loyalists treated humans on their ships. Look at how mm-hmm. the traitors, when they decided to turn, how they treated them. And I see a lot of, you know, because in Galaxy and Flames, they were freaking out. It was Flight of the Eisenstein. That's what it was. Flight of the Eisenstein. Right. They were putting their entire trust in these humans to get the calculations mm-hmm. right and get them safe. Oh, yeah. Well, And, and none of that would have happened here. Emperor. Look at Spirit of the Emperor. That too. How much trust. Right. And Art, look, they're not BFFs with the humans. I mean, Spirit of the Emperor, he treats Anharada very much like what she is, a slave. Mm. Oh, but yeah. think of how much trust he puts in her intrinsically. Right. Because... They, he knows you have one duty in life that is to serve me and I trust you to do it because the other option is I kill you. Like, it's just, it's it's not even a question. Like, I told you to go do a thing. I know you're going to go do the thing. So I found that very, I found that very odd. And it did, and I don't know if it was just that he wanted to give the Space Marines a more active presence on the ship and give them, because a lot of times I felt as though it was kind of a way to keep them busy and like with Praximedes and, Nim- and Nimitus, especially, there were a lot of conversations they had while they were doing things so that they didn't just directly go to blows. Right. I mean, but there's other things they could have done to, to have that. What I think this is, and just from what we read in Knights of McCrag and what we've seen with some other books dealing with the Primaris Marine, the Ultramarines, that are not Felix, <laughs> make that very clear, is that the Primaris Marines are assholes. They, they've they been like in the stasis for most of them for 10,000 years. 
And they've been basically, you know, brainwashed in their sleep by call that they are bigger and better and faster, bigger, better, more faster, whatever, than everybody else. They're better than the chapter masters. You know, they're, they're just better than everything. And so they're already kind of jerks to their ultramarine brothers, and they don't really fit in very well. And then that just goes doubly for the humans. So it's like, not only are you not a transhuman, you're not a primaris transhuman. Right. Right. So we think we've dived down this rabbit hole for a while. Let's switch gears a little. And this is one of the first books that we've read for the book club that really dives into the Necron. And I don't just mean like, oh, hey, there's a Necron. <laughs> it really dives into them. So first off, how do you feel about them as antagonists? Okay. Now, player five has entered the field. <laughs> so Right. Um, so I knew nothing about the Necrons aside from what we read in the Fabulous Spill trilogy, and which I know that oh, right. which I know that he's not really Trazen's not really a uh, typical Necron, and uh, the the Chronomancer Necron that we came across in Knights of McCrag. Oh, Knights of McCrags, yeah. Yeah, and I knew that the Necrons were um, they were asleep. You know, they had their tombs and they were sleeping, but I knew nothing else about them. This was not a good book to dive in and learn because they're throwing out terminology and talking about biotransference and still feeling flesh. And it's like, what is, I don't understand. So I like texted Jen like at night, like I don't have any idea what is going on with the Necrons or who they are or whatever this is. So she gave me a, you know, too long didn't read summary to where I was just kind of staring at my phone and blinking for a little bit. It's like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, just, I was like, oh, okay. And yes, that gave some backstory a little bit to explaining, you know, the, the talk of biotransference and what Zozar's problem was. Still don't care. Uh, we'll but, talk more about that. But there's other things that just didn't make sense. So they're, they're getting into like, a lot of the nitty gritty of what the Necrons do. Like, for example, the very first time we come across the Necrons, we have um, Ahotep doing things, and I could not tell you what she was doing. Duff, it, okay. And just the way. But she, uh, that speaks to a larger problem that I think some parts of this book had, where the action scenes reminded me of a shaky cam movie, where that whole first scene with Ahotep when she's going to. Um, I guess suck the energy out of that building. I had her read it twice because I got to the end and I'm reading it aloud and I get to the end and I go, huh? Well, and my husband was like, I need you to explain what just happened to me. So, I mean, because I was like, okay, is she invisible or is she not invisible? Oh, is she right, like yeah, floating through the air? Is she like a data stream? Is she a ghost? Like, I don't understand what exactly is happening here? And then they kept calling her a plasmancer. I have no idea what that means. You know, I mean, I was able to kind of figure out the hierarchy because they make that really clear, like, early on. But it's just really how the Necrons move and behave was just... It was kind of like if I took the Forerunners from Halo, because they're confusing as shit, and then shook them up with, like you said, Terminators, like... Here you go. This is, this is what what it is. I, okay, sure. Yeah, and I feel as though 
One of the complaints I've always had with the Necrons is that they are a little OP. Well, yeah, Not because quite... technically they can't die. I mean, if right. well, I mean, you gotta if you're able to take out their ships, you know, they got nothing kind of you know powering their souls or whatever. But if another ship comes in, oh, now they're and now they're self repairing. Right, and one of the things that I feel as though Games Workshop really needs to make a deciding factor on is their corporality. So, I had flashbacks to old reference alert. I had flashbacks to Jim and the holograms because I don't know if you remember, but Synergy, bear with me, Synergy was a being of pure energy. She could not That's how interact. I synergy? I don't know, it's so weird. Um, and because she was synergistic with Jim. Hmm. Anyways, um, she could not interact with the real world, except for when the story needed her to. <laughs> she could push buttons and she could do all kinds of stuff. And it used to drive me insane even as a kid because I'd be like, well, wait a minute, she's energy. Whatever. These guys, there was a lot of stuff. Like, And I understand, Like, I can buy the concept of them phasing in and out of stuff because super technology, I'm not totally good with that, but... There were a few things that they did where I was like, guys, either these things are corporeal or they're not. Either they are living metal, which I always imagined to be somewhere between the T-1000 and your OG Terminator, right? That's kind they of what I was that, thinking, too. Yeah, they have that solid, because again, if you think about, and maybe this isn't the best reference, but when you think about Pisanius's arm, right. do you remember how it would get mangled? And then it would just grow back in because mm -hmm. it was touched. It had Necron technology, that living metal technology in it because of the Catan. Anyways, um, I, there were a few scenes in this book where I was like, look, either she's a physical being or she's not. You cannot have her be. She cannot exist in all three states of matter. <laughs> she cannot be a liquid, a solid, and a gas. Um, but the fourth state of plasma. Anyways, it was... Yeah, that was a little frustrating to me. And I feel as if Games Workshop is going to have to just make, draw a line in the sand and say, okay, Necrons can do X, Y, Z. They cannot do these three other things, and we're done. And they already redid their backstory because I, and I'm saying this specifically to you, Skywatcher Adept. Help me, Skywatcher, you're my only hope. <laughs> when I first start, got into the Warhammer 40k universe, the Necron backstory was not nearly as convoluted as it is now. At least I don't remember it being as such. And again, remember I was downloading ancient codices to figure this out. But it was basically that the Catan tricked the Necrons into doing this biotransference thing. And then as soon as they became these living gods, basically of metal and could not be killed, they were like, we don't need the Catan. Let's just bottle them up like Pokemon and use them. The new backstory is considerably more complex. Uh, and it involves the old ones. I don't remember the old ones being in the original. Neither here nor there. But again, I, kinda I feel like, like we need to just like draw a line in the sand for what the Necrons I kind of like the backstory. first story better. I always really liked the first story. It added tragedy to it, which, so bridging over into how did you feel about their backstory, especially told by a Simit and Zozar, because Simit has, Simit has regret. Not quite like Zozar. The sunsickness, like it made it sound more like they were trying to escape a plague. Okay, like, I so, had the impression that it was more like right. the Catan being like, "Y'all sick." Didn't understand that at 
all. Like, every time they made any references, it's like, what are you guys even talking about? Which I think goes back to my lack of knowledge of the Necrons, because I had right. no idea what they were talking about. Look, I know about the Bat Necrons backstory. We're pretty good handle on that. Again, I can give you the too long did not read view, but even I was reading about that going, what's sun sickness or what's sun plague? Like, what is going on here? And the biotransference thing, I guess I thought that all of the Necrons, just the Necronter, got transformed into Necron. So when he talks about how his children basically became mindless automatons, and then he talked about how his wife was driven insane, okay, driving, being driven insane, it would be kind of weird to go from being human to being a Terminator, I'm just saying. It would. To be fair, um, they actually dealt with that really well in Doom Patrol when um, he's just Brendan Fraser. Okay, I don't care what his character name is, he's Brendan Fraser. When he's dealing with the fact that he can't touch anything or right. eat anything, it'd be, it'd be heartbreakingly terrible. Um, but the Sun Plague thing, I was like, this is just weird. And the fact that your kids are now automatons. And actually, the whole slaving thing, I was like, this was not well thought out. Because the fact that Simmet was, like, in charge of everything, it can take over everything. We've already proven that everybody knows you're inept. So why would you slave everyone? Slave's not the right word. But why would you make everything tied to this one central brain, mother brain, as it were? It was weird. And then, of course, you have Ahotep who's like, ah, doesn't work on me. Until he uh, lost his ship and invaded yours. <laughs> yeah. Ruh -roh. Right? Yeah. Well, but again, like, that seems... It's like bad coding, bad programming. Maybe it's because I'm in software, but, like, I was looking at it and I was like, this was a bad user story. These requirements were not <laughs> very well drawn out. As a user, I don't want everything to be subservient to one master guy, like... Well, I mean, obviously that's what Simmet wanted. Well, obviously. I understand why he Yeah. Um, and, you know, honestly, maybe the Silent King put him out there to do this because he knew he would fail and everything would get destroyed and everything that he had touched would get destroyed. I, I don't know. I don't even know if, what was his name, Tholotep? Is that his name? Tholotep. Yeah, Tholotep. If he was really talking to the Silent King or not, or if he just, because we don't know. Or if he just decided he didn't like Simmet and was just telling him things. No idea, because we don't really get to know Zarek. Like, we know that Zarek is... Another weird thing. We know that Zarek is going to become this major antagonist and this major player in this new Indominus world where they're putting the inserting the Necrons into the storyline. And I really didn't get a good sense of him or his motivations or anything. And... So we'll talk about that in a second because we're going to talk about all the head scratching moments of this book. Well, it sounded to me that he just wanted to like null the warp because right. then they, would, they do not like the warp. But by nulling it, they would uh, the humans would basically either not want to exist or just flat out cease to exist. Although I'd have to wonder though, with how did they get through space without the warp? So they, um, they are able to use different technology to travel through space very fast. 
Uh, the whole reason that they hated the old ones was that the old ones are the ones who created the webway. And yes, I'm pretty sure, again, hey, Skywatcher adept, um, keep me honest, I'm pretty sure these are the same old ones that the Seraphon slash Lizardmen, depending on your feelings of a on AOS, worship and answer to. But they created the webway, and the fact that they had this really super cool, just bamfing technology, basically, made them pretty angry, and the fact that they were immortal. Hmm. But they moved through with a different technology, and um, I can't remember what it's called, what they call it right now. It's not like faster than light, but similar. Um, so because Necrons, again, it's part of that thing where they can basically just appear places where they want to go. Not instantaneously as, like, say, the Harlequins, ones, but it, they hate chaos, they hate the warp, but it actually makes them a very interesting player to enter the field because post Cadia falling, the warp's going crazy. The Cicatrice Maledictum is still around. A, a group of people who really don't like the warp and are pretty much, I mean, they are the true neutral characters. They don't care about you, they don't care about the Imperium. I did like. We'll talk more about that in a second. But the fact that they make an interesting player, right? And I, I think there's a lot of potential for them. It wasn't, he didn't really have the time to go into it in this book, I don't think. But I do find them intriguing as an antagonist. It'll just be a question of how much. I can't wait for them in the Necrons to meet. Or the ten Tyranids. That's what I was thinking of. Can you talk about two OP races? Just well, and, and they both hate the war. And the funny thing is, is they're basically immune to the Tyranids. I'm sure the Tyranids will figure out a way to adapt to them, but they have no biomass, so they can't eat them. Uh, they can't control them. No gene stealers. They can melt their bodies with their acid bit, but cool story, bro. They'll just make a new body. Right? They have, like, as I learned, they back up their their souls. They can be resurrected. So, okay. Let's, we talked about the, we're going to talk a lot more about the Necrons, because a lot of our head-scratcher moments came in there. I do want to talk about the Primaris Marines. As we said, they're very different than the ones that we've previously seen. Did you like the, any of them? Like, did you like any of the Space Marine characters? No. None. The only one I, I was kind of like, okay, he's okay, was um, Nematus and Praximedes. But Praximedes is just so boring. He was so dull. And I, I didn't... You know, I want to say that I liked Praximedes, and I really just didn't. I think Nemetus was. I did like at the end when they're like, we're not winning this. And he's like, well, that just makes everything more simple, doesn't it? I'm going to go balls to the wall. Like, yeah. who cares? I did at least like that. I found that to be very funny and very within character for the Space Marines. Like, I thought that was at least kind of interesting. That's about it. I wanted to like Aeschylus. And I kept waiting for him to like grow as a character. And then he didn't. Except at the very end. Like he even like mentioned like near the end he was like, I'm never gonna be remembered. 
I was too proud. Like, okay, sure, great. At the end, you, you realize all of this. That's like all the growth we're going to get out of you. You know, the fact that they're like, oh, we got to go home and report into this other thing. And then they get this call at Ice Plus is like, oh, no, 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 we're going to go do that. Because he wanted glory so much. The Codex does not condone this action. Facebook says it's bad. Like, well, I think that even... the astropath said that. Yeah, everybody did, basically. And it's not one of those things where I'm not pulling a Lyrgis or a Lysander where I'm like, look, it clearly says wear white shoes and you have on white shoes with a black stripe. I'm not... But what you're doing is reckless. And you're basically saying that, oh, the Primarch wants us to go back there because he doesn't know about this. And unfortunately, arguably, he's correct because, you know, at the end there when they're like, Goleman needs to know that the Necrons are, like, they, again... They're an active player on the board now. That really pissed me off, though, when he's like, nope, we're going this. Just pretend I didn't hear that order. And it, Dude. it was just him just so wanting, like, the whole pride thing, you know. He just so wanted his own glory. He was so embarrassed that they got, you know, caught in that trap <laughs> with the uh, Trader Marine ship and just, he's like, I he never he never even acknowledges that, oh, wait, that was the ghost ship, wasn't it? He's still just kind of like, meh. He's still on about that. Yeah, well. I'm you know, paying attention to current events, but you just got your ass kicked. But I mean, just he's when they're retreating and he's like, he'd been writing the report in his head this whole time. And then he's like, well, now I have to come up with something else. It's like, well... Haven't you always heard that you should write your acceptance speech and a concession speech? Yeah. And I... Ugh, okay, I go back and forth on this. On one hand, I appreciate that the Space Marines are human. And all of the obnoxious, irritating humans that you run into every day in your life, they'll still exist in the Space Marines. You're going to find blowhards. You're going to find arrogant, dismissive assholes. You're going to find glory seekers and prideful idiots. Not that he was an idiot, but you're going to find these prideful people. Like, all of these human things, that doesn't get erased. Right. So on one hand, I do like that. On the other hand, pride is one of the seven deadly sins, <laughs> my friend. I don't want to read about your proud character. I, uh, okay. There are certain character traits that I really don't like, and the overly prideful character is—that's the one that I don't like. You know, like I would rather hubris, the lustful, embarrassed uh, children over the proud. Spacer. You know, hubris as a foil—it just—it gets old after a while. It—it it does. And it's one of Shakespeare's classic things he had in most of his plays, or most of his tragedies, anyway. And um, uh, I mean, the horse heresy is full of hubris. Um, oh my God! How much? Right. Uh, you want to go into Greek mythology? You know, there's hubris. You got it's a common the entire device. play about Beowulf. They talk about Beowulf's boasts and about his hubris because yep. he had none. You know. 
lot of speeches about, you know, not being prideful and we get it. And then we still fall into pride and then we fall, we get it. But sometimes you just get over inundated with pride speeches. And this to me was just, it was so much on the nose about that. And not only that, but the whole, the, uh, this team of space Marines and the team of Necrons were exact opposites of one another. You had the prideful captains. You had the logical, you know, Proximedes and Ahotep. And then you had Namidas, who was kind of wanted to do everything Aeschylus did and uh, was very rash thinker, which brings you to what's his Phaedos. Phaedos. Like the guy who kept coming up with the new titles, Phaedos. That was at least, that was kind of funny. But yeah, you know, and this is, okay, look. I think I could be biased because, again, this year we read not one, not two, but three Fabius File books, and we read Lucas the Trickster. And I, I love Josh Reynolds, but that is a device he deploys often in all four of those books. Maybe uh, that's why we're so beaten down, to be honest, just because we had to deal with that so much with Fabius File and his constant pride. Well, and it's not just that, it's the, and I I think we saw it in all three books where there was another character that was like a dark reflection of Fabius Vile. really saw it in Lucas the Trickster with Lucas versus Sliscus. Mm. And so that whole, I'm like you, only a little worse and more obnoxious. I, I would be fine if I didn't see that again for a while. And again, right. I think it could be, and that's, I think we put ourselves at a disadvantage. Right. I was going to say, read I was, four books by the same author. I was going to say, this is not Gav Thorpe's fault, that part at all. It just so happened that we read four Josh Reynolds books, all back to back to back to back, because it was all part of like the backlog, because nothing was getting published, yada, yada, yada. Right. So really, it's Black Library's fault. Yeah. I, hey, I'm, I'm down with that. It's totally, totally the Black Library's fault. Publish more books, sirs and madams. Um, pretty much where that's not entirely his fault. I'm just kind of over that particular trope. And right. so, yeah, the whole thing with Summit versus Aeschylus versus Nemetus versus... Actually, I... Is Nemetus more like a hotep? Because he's just like, I've got a plan and I'm going to run for it. Whereas Praximedes is more like Phaedos. I don't actually know. But they all, like, you could see the right. mirror reflection. I mean, but there is three versus three. All right. That's really all, all you need to know. Oh, no, totally. No, totally. I agree with you. I I went back and forth on who was who. Um, so let's talk about what we kind of alluded to really quickly here. There were a few head-scratching moments in this book. A few? A few. So I'll talk about the first one that came out of left field to me and... I, I actually set, like you and I were talking last night, we were texting back and forth as we were reading. I got up and folded laundry because it was one of those things where I was like, what? Like I had to walk away from the book for a second. And it's when Ahotep mentions that she was part of this old dynasty when she gives her full title and he's like, the dynasty's dead. Believe me, that dynasty's dead. Not all of us. Oh, okay. Like, first off, her over-dramatized speeches throughout where she would have her revenge! Exclamation point. 
was that what this was all about? And maybe it's all right. I, need to, I need to find where I texted you last night because I texted you a page number two forty seven, and it's when she does the big monologue. Is it, was it page two forty seven? When is that the is that the page number? I'm British. Okay, we text each other so much, so I don't even know if I can find it now. But um, I think it was two forty seven, or maybe it was two thirty seven. Something uh, there. But it had a seven. Two thirty-seven. Two thirty-seven. All right. So because she does that big monologue, and she's basically like, "I will have my revenge." Okay. Yes. So at that part, like I knew she was a plant for something. For you know? something. She's not playing for the right. Yeah. Here it is. When yeah. she reveals that she is part of the Mufikta dynasty. Right, so 237, and she's like, you know, talking about, uh, she's going to stop um, Zarek. I'm like, whoa, 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 where, where did that come from? I thought she might have been a plant, like, on behalf of Zarek, you know. Because, again, this is like a great disconnect. Because she talks about how Zarek put her with Sima. How else was she going to stop Zarek if she wasn't with Sima? Right. You know. what she said, I will stop him. Zara can never be allowed to attain the power he desired. So that... Why? Yeah, that confused me. I didn't understand. Kristen, we still don't know why. We know why she's angry well, at Simmet. So again, help a Skywatcher adept, or anybody else who... Is this in a codex? Or, and again, I admit that I know Shit. a bit about the Necrons, oh my God! apparently not enough. You know what? All of this could be in the Psychic Awakening Codex. Everything about her dynasty, everything about them could be in that codex. So, we were going to go to Adepticon, and Adepticon, by the way, if anybody knows anybody who's involved with Adepticon, class act. Those oh, people. God. I, Hut, hands oh, down. I When I got that box, they said that they were like, oh, if you signed up for the Warhammer preview, we're going to send you a box. And I was like, Sure, Jam. Like, whatever. And I, I didn't really put two and two together that I had signed up for that. But I got this box with this bag and a figure and a book of the collected uh, Psychic Awakening stories. Right. I almost started crying because it's been a rough few months. You guys may have noticed. Uh, but I was like, that is so cool. Like, having gone to E3 and PAX for years... When they can if they canceled something like that overnight, you wouldn't get shit. They would wouldn't just even get for another time. You wouldn't have even gotten your badge in commemorative no. uh help me. Lanyard. Lanyard. Words are No, hard. you wouldn't have even gotten your lanyard. Like you would not have gotten shit. They would have just saved those lanyards for next year. So you get really cool Nintendo lanyards. Yes. You, you do. Um so but like I was so stunned by that, so that was really cool. But I even said to myself, I was like, oh, you know what, we should probably read this at some point with all of our free time that we have, hmm. which was hockey season gearing up. Um, some help in my lots of coffee. Um, I was so taken aback, but now it dawns on me. Maybe we do need to read this. Maybe this is detailed in there. If somebody else has done the thing, please let us know. Save me some time. Um, Maybe this is all detailed, but when she said that she was part of this dynasty, are we supposed to know what that means? Am I supposed to be like, oh, 
that's why she wanted Zarek to fail. Or when she said, I can't let Zarek get this power, was I supposed to say, oh shit, I bet she's part of one of the other dynasties. Which, actually, I did kind of say that. But like, am I supposed to be like, I bet she's part of one of these three dynasties? I don't know. Obviously not the Trazen dynasty. Or Trazen's dynasty. I forgot what. I can't remember the name of his dynasty off the top of my head. Okay. Um, uh, so, sorry. I was reading. We got Patreon messages that I haven't replied to because I've been busy and I'm a jerk. I am sorry about that. But this is from uh, Penny Mauser. And she was actually talking about uh, psychic psychic awakening and she said um she or he i'm not sure do you want photos of the story pages from that codex or my retelling of it um yes please we would like photos of of, of this of these these codices um yes so if you're listening panny we or pawnee we would greatly appreciate that because obviously because this is not like gav thorpe this is not like him to bring something so far out of left field for us to be like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. What even is going on here? And we talked about the, the Phantom ship. That was kind of weird. And honestly, the epilogue struck me as a little weird. Like, I understand. They're trying to tell you that the Necrons are not dead on this planet. We didn't kill them permanently. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, Okay, I kind of assumed that, if we're being honest. Like, I found that to be a little head-scratchy. Um, what was the other thing? You and I had talked about it by a text. It was another thing that I was like, yeah, what's up with this? Hmm. I can't remember what it was now. But there were a few things where it was just like, this feels a little out of left field. This feels a little unfleshed out. Really, the Phantom Ship was the biggest thing for me because I found that so exciting and so awesome. And guys... There are certain tropes we talk a lot about, and I feel like I especially talk about tropes that I don't like. If you want me to just be an instant day one, I'm in love with you and I love your book, a red baron trope or like the hunter seeker, like some of the reasons I will defend uh, Hunt for the Red October until I'm blue in the face because I love the idea of this cat and mouse chase. Mm-hmm. It's a trope. I'm down with 100% of the time. So, please, Mr. Thorpe, if you've made it this far, we love you. Please write that book. Like, just flesh out that for I seriously, like, limited edition, special edition, I will buy the thing. Because I love it. I'm, I but those are find it. I can't remember what it was now. It might not even get in text. But there were just a few things where I was like, huh, I don't really know what this has to do with the rest of the book. And I found that to be, okay, actually, this bridges us into our next conversation. Ductus Astartes, girl. She felt a little out of place, too. I didn't really understand what's... The Ductus Astartes, girl. Adeptus Sororitas. Okay, I was like, what the hell are you talking about? There's girl space marines now, guys. Okay, just, I mean, I, I was thinking like a groupie. Like, I totally missed this. Just, I'm not talking about myself. God. <laughs> well, you wouldn't be groupies of these guys. No. No, I have better taste than that. Yeah, we'd be with the fourth uh, company. Thank you. Um, there's a, I, there's a bunch I'd be with. Anyways, so, be a band-aid. Uh, weird movie references. Um, 
the Adeptus Sororitas woman. I wasn't really sure. Like, she was there. I felt like she was there because she there was an Adeptus Sororitas in the trailer. The Indominus trailer. Because she didn't really serve anything for the narrative. When she gives them the data crystal and she's like, this proves. Proves that they are heretics. And they listen to it and they're like, oh yeah, that's pretty much... This is basically what they told us. And that was my head scratcher moment. When they listen to that and they're like, Ugh, this is disgusting. Well, he just told you all of this. Yeah, th- that didn't surprise me. Like, right? I- at all. And even when he talked about the surrender and that, yes, I've been talking to... or he, I, I don't know if he was talking to, but he intercepted a transmission, basically. And he's like, you know, you're going to pay for this heresy. And he's like, dude, we've already discussed this. Like, this is nothing new he, he told you all of this in the throne room which says bridges into our next question because this is a very interesting concept we've never really seen before and it's the idea of surrender so you're not surrendering to the chaos marines in any way that you want to the tau surrendering to the tau you're just now part of the Tau Empire, or they will kill you. Well, uh, the you, but do you really actually surrender to the Tau? I mean, they kind of give you that idea that this sounds right. great. <laughs> we'll just mind control you so you're happy. Um, it's like Stepford Wives. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I have to figure out a way to make that pithier, but yes, it's the, the Stepford aliens. Like, you just join us and everything will be fine. Um, so, look it up, kids. The It's an interesting idea that they have this faction that, we don't know who these guys are. They're not chaos. They're not tyrannids. They're not the orcs. You're not surrendering to the orcs. No. <laughs> um, they're, they're not the gene stealers, right, who also just want to mind control and take over everything. Um, it's this idea that they finally found this faction and we really get to learn how this is heresy. Well, but we were going to surrender to buy ourselves time to figure out how to get out of this. That's heresy. Oh, okay. Do you, what was your take on this? Do you agree with that? Facebook says hard? this bad, but only when I say it says this bad. Because because defying a direct order, not bad. Do, ah! do you get it? You get it? You see how uh, this works? Yeah. That's a really good point. Yes. Well, that was one of those things. And I don't know if that was just because the chaplain was there. Well, we were going to surrender. Heresy! Well, oh, Aeschylus was already like that. I Okay, that's true. Yeah, because remember, he got, so, he got so red in the face when he first heard that message. Where they were like, we surrender. But... I actually, well, let me ask you this. Did you buy their explanation? Because yes. I, totally, I totally did. Because, okay, I understand this whole idea that, you know, you should never surrender and never give in. That's right. That is great for you all that have no right. fear. All right. Humans have fear. And the way I see it was that this governor or this commander actually thinking about his people and how to minimize the slaughter so that maybe he could evacuate as many people as possible i don't think he was going to leave he's old for starters i think he knew that um but he was going to try to evacuate as many people 
as possible. Do I think he was going to surrender to the fact that we embrace your ideals? Hell no. This was just a way to survive a little bit longer. Because like Aeschylus said, they stumbled upon this planet. The only reason why they even reached there was because another one of their ships blew up and tore a hole in the warp long enough for them to be able to get out. So, yep. uh, I think it's very, I think it's very rich for, for, es for Aeschylus to be, to be like that. I, you know, and I always hate it when, when, when they all do, you know, it's one thing in the army in the Imperial Guard, when they are fighting and you become a deserter. I, I understand that. Yeah, do I understand why you're becoming a deserter? Absolutely. You got scared. But we can't have people just running because they're scared. So sorry, you're gonna right. you're gonna be you're gonna get shot if you get caught. But this whole idea of like space marines punishing them, which is why I loved that the astropath was like interfering. He's like, You're not an inquisitor. You do not have this authority. That was the part in which I fell in love with the character. Right. Because remember, I was kind of on the fence about him, and that was the scene where I was like, oh, Jesus, you're a sanctioned psyker, and you just stood up to not only an Ultramarine's captain, but the chaplain is right there. Like, this guy will absolutely bash your head in and not even feel bad about it. It won't even ruin his day. He, so He wanted to do it just about, you know, pretty much. five like, he pages was ago. excuse. Right? Yeah, it's just yeah. like for an excuse for it. So the fact that he stood up for that and when he said that, he's like, you are not an inquisitor. This is not a good way to convince them that we're here to help. You need to listen. These people are afraid. And I did like that was the only moment the lump of sugar mildly for Aeschylus when he was like, oh, right. This shit has to be terrifying for you guys. I don't feel it. But it, it, I mean, he still, still kind of looked down his nose, right? Like, oh, it's Again, going back to that adult-child thing, when a child, oh, I'm scared of the dark. Okay, I, I, I guess. I understand. I get it. Right? Same thing. Like, oh, okay, I guess. But in telling them, hey, you're not going to surrender, that's heresy, they didn't get anyone off the planet, really. Right. So they weren't heretics and they all died honorably? Question mark? You can ask that of your soldiers. You can you tell the soldiers that you can tell soldiers that they can't surrender. You can't tell this to farmers on an agri world. Right. And that's the thing too, is that apparently I just don't think, I think, so I think this to me, going back to pride, it unlocked this gray area of, do you, you know, eat crow? say that you surrender and then quietly get all of your farmers off and try to save some of your people it looks bad on the surface but at least these people can go on to be can continue to be reductive imperial citizens elsewhere at least at the very least or get word out <laughs> that <laughs> shit's happening yeah heaven forbid or do you stick to your guns and you remain the proud soldier that by god we all died we died uncle and again, I think you can only ask that of the Imperial Guard. Right. And uh, the Space Marines. Because the Space Marines, like they right. said, they have the fear bred out of them. It's not part... They just don't have it. 
You know, and I got right. really disgusted with Aeschylus when they were trapped in the warp. Because that was, uh, think about that, but really kind of, one thing I did like about this book, I didn't mention it, but one thing I really liked about this book was how they explained how they sail or fly through the warp. Yeah! I liked that explanation because I never thought about it being like this roiling, you know, sea of souls. I never, I mean, I knew that, but I didn't think about that's how they gained attraction, like they were actually sailing you know I never thought yeah. of it that way and so you know learning all of that and then they're in just this black empty and there's nothing I mean obviously there's something out there because when they take down the Geller field ghosts are like what's up what are you guys doing How's it going? <laughs> this looks like fun uh, but right but when they're in there and they realize that there's no traction they can't leave there is nothing for them to do and they get so mad at the crew for breaking down and crying. Right. It's like, well, especially when she gives that explanation, because so and guess what? Another podcast where I mentioned the Night Lords trilogy, um, the Night Lords trilogy, really, that's where I learned that it was like sailing like a ship because they talk about how there's like these giant tidal waves coming and then there's kind of a calmer area over here, but Octavia being accustomed to looking for the um, Astronomicon without having that, she just goes straight into the tidal wave, uh, which is really bad for the ship, okay? Um, I loved the explanation when they talk about how they're becalmed, and they're like, yeah. look, there's no traction, and I think at one point they're like explaining it like a fishbowl, yeah. and they're like, we're basically like trying, we're like sliding. Oh my God, that sounded so well, terrifying. That, when they're talking about the ship was spinning, mm-hmm. All I could think of is like that one time, yeah. that one time where I was in my car and I skidded, it was raining and I actually did a full 360 turn. Oh, and when oh I God, stopped, yes. I was just like, <gasps> <gasps> it was so scary. So, you know, just kind of I've thinking. I've done that on the ice. Yeah. I mean, times. just, just thinking of just kind of being spinning out in the void, having no control. That's actually one of my like most irrational fears of why I will never go into space is being out in the void and nobody can go get me. I'm just floating out there forever. Uh, I would never go to space because right. that's not my thing. But my point being like, to me, that's scary. Just like yeah. being left out in the open ocean by yourself. That's well, scary. that you mentioned that because it gave me... So I live in Colorado. It gets very icy here. I One of the scariest things that ever happened to me is we have this very steep hill and it iced over and it was black ice and it was night and I didn't realize it. And I just thought, cause it was snowing and there was snow on top of the ice and I tapped my brakes and man, whoosh, like, oh my God. And you just slowly but surely just keep sliding and keep sliding and keep right. sliding. And my car actually hit the curb and it banged up. So like the, if you can picture the axle that your right. wheels were on, it actually, yeah, messed up. My car was terrible. but. That sensation, and we slide a lot here. So when she was describing that, like I was, my palms were sweating because it is the worst feeling in the world when you start sliding on that ice and you're like, fuck, I, hopefully it stops soon. I'm just going to sit here and not panic. <laughs> right. So when she was describing that, I was like, oh, <laughs> that's not okay. Yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, and I, okay, so like, I kept thinking there was like nothing I liked in this book, but that's not true. That was actually like one of those things that I thought was, was 
was very well done was that description well, the slingshot thing was super that smooth. that reminded me of flight of the eisenstein because that is what they used to get away and, and yep. in the end they figured out a, a way to get to the orbit around the planet just far enough to they could slingshot themselves away far enough to break into the warp so that whole idea i thought was so cool oh uh, my god so um so yeah but when they started crying i was like my god i would cry too I think everybody would cry because now you're just like we're gonna die here we're not gonna leave we're gonna die that's just it's one thing to be in void warfare and know there's a possibility of dying there's another thing to being stranded and no way out one of my favorite books that i've read in the past decade horror novels was the terror by dan simmons and it talks about the hms erebus and the terror trying to find the northwest passage and they get stuck because there's no way to really do that very easily they get stuck up in canada and they get stuck in this frozen ice and the ships can't move right and it's very scary and there's this fear and this pressure and one of the hulls gets penetrated by the ice and there's this moment where they're like fuck right like now we're not going anywhere and there's this complete meltdown and they have to get control of the crew and everything and all this it's very fascinating it's very nerve-wracking i really like it and i highly recommend it but yeah, like when they started crying, I just thought about that. It's like, these people all know. This is even arguably worse than being becalmed in an ocean. Because that sucks, but the law of averages says that eventually a wind current is going to come eventually. Right. Or, yeah, you can, or, like, there's there's option. There's not shit you can do in the warp. Like, oh my god, so that really did piss me off when everybody starts crying, and the space marines are like, nut up. Yeah, they're like, get the, like, like, well, Eskel's like, y'all, he's dude, like, get off the bridge so you can control yourself. Like, go see the chaplain so you can go control yourself. Like, right? like, give these people a break. So, let's, because I want to be conscient, so much conscientious of our time. Right, because I'm not looking at the clock, yeah. <laughs> Where do they go from here? Obviously, Praxamedes, well, I say obviously, uh, Praxamedes gets away, he's going to alert them that OBG dubs. Also Necrons. Because you didn't have uh, enough problems with the Nids and your brother and we everything about, going on in Terra, you know. We joke about Robbie G's email. Oh my god, I, his, his voicemail. Hey, Rob. When I got to the end of By this book, way. I was like, oh Jesus. Because we had made this joke one night when we were drunk about like his answering service trying to prioritize the calls. I feel like this one jumps to the head of the line. <laughs> It's like when you're in an emergency room and the person who's been shot comes in and it's like, okay, all everybody else is waiting. That's priority. Right. Like, but on the other hand, this has just become a thing where Rob's like, okay. Like, okay, why not? Like, imagine if anything, he would call Trazen and be like, dude, talk to your fucking people. Hang up. <laughs> <laughs> you helped resurrect me. Do something. Oh, that's right, he did. Like, does he have him on speed dial? Or is it like his I mean, Eldar girlfriend? Where he's like... I mean, she know? might help just because, you know, although she's, like, done enough for the humans. Right, like, I helped you once. I brought back Robbie Bobby. But uh, but of. if the Necrons are back, the Eldar aren't, aren't going to like that either. No, actually... 
kind of makes them interesting because they are, again, that true neutral character. Nobody likes them and everybody else. They're not, could you imagine? Dude, figured it out. Okay, guys, I'm gonna save the Imperium. That's all we're gonna do. We're gonna take a section of space, maybe like five planets to keep it interesting. And we're gonna unleash the Necrons there and invite the orcs. Because if you want to talk about something that's going to give you a good crumpin', right? <laughs> the two races that can't really be killed. I mean, yes, the orcs can be killed, but like, I just feel like they would have so much fun. And either way, they thin the herd. Well, the orcs would just be having the best time ever. They'd be like, finally, a good crumpin'. Like, yes, there'd just be a bunch of orcs sitting there going, wah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. So, you're welcome, Robbie Bobby. I just, if I didn't save the Imperium, I really thinned the numbers down to make it manageable. I'd maybe send the Nids over there too, because they could eat you're the You're welcome. Orcs and then attack the Necrons. I mean, yeah. hilarious. Actually, even the really Orcs hard. versus the Nids would be entertaining. It would be, actually. Because, can you steal Orcs? They're mushrooms. <laughs> Which still makes them organic life. <laughs> They're a sentient fun guy. Fuck. I bet you know what? Somebody has answered this question somewhere. <laughs> I know they have. But because I, I was going to try to go down to the Games Workshop store today and I just didn't. So I'm really excited to start a new book in a new series with Chris Rates' Bloodlines. Such a nice copy. I love it. That's nice. Um, I'm, I'm going to pick it up tomorrow. Look at that cover! I love it! I mean... It's very Bioshocky. Uh, it's very uh, video gamey. It is. It reminds me of Bioshock with Rapture. Yeah, I, I could see that. But I mean, like, you know, get the first Mass Effect cover. You know, just we got that big thing of light. Or Metro. Oh, yeah. With Metro 2033. Kind of Metro. Yeah. Not important. It's Chris Rate and it's a mystery novel on board. Mystery crime. This may be the thing that that we crime kind of need. But um, you know, there is actually it's not going to have main characters. It's not going to have main story. It's not going to have main factions. Right. I'm kind of excited. It's going to be an author like the equivalent of a popcorn book for us. I'm fine with that. After everything else totally that we've read, read lately. But there's like actually one quote in the book that I kind of really wanted to, to bring up because I wrote it down because I found it interesting. And then the more I thought about it, after like talking to you last night, I was like, oh my gosh. So we talked a lot about in our texts and back and forth about how that Gav Thorpe is a great writer with so many things, but like right. Void Warfare is not his forte and really heavy action scenes are not his forte he's so great at character development like there's a reason why he's done the dark angels so well because that's exactly like up, up his alley and he wrote a great Lorgar book I mean I really liked Ashes of Prospero which again was character character and lore book not really heavy it's not there was no void warfare and there was no real battles there was some <laughs> tussles but no battles those right. are really good. And so, you know, we were just kind of struggling with this because we just don't find that he writes it very well, which is part of the reason why we were so confused 
with, mm-hmm. with so many of the sequences, but there's this scene where Nemetus and Praximedes are talking. And Praximedes is trying to understand Nemetus, like how he's mm-hmm. so impulsive and just sure of himself, whereas Praximedes has to think of like six steps ahead of where he might be going. And so he says, he's like, I'm trying to understand how you think. And Nemesis says, why would you want to? Why be something that you're not? And I'm wondering if that's going to Thorpe's call for help here. Why write something that you're not? You know what? I said this before and I'll say it again. I don't envy him with this book. He got tasked with two major things. You have to write a book that introduces the next major player in the war. Um, I think one of my favorite memes about this is the uh, captain on the boat meme, where the Necron is like, look at me. I am the main antagonist now. Um, Yeah, it pretty much, right? So you have to introduce the new main antagonist in this next wave of stories. And you have to introduce and make plot relevant the new figures. So he was given a gargantuan task and also kind of has to explain why we haven't talked about the Necrons because most of the books taking place after the Cicatrix Maledictum mm-hmm. take place a hundred years after it. So Chris Rate got to go back and dance around in there a little bit and right. the Dawn of Fire books are as well. But this one is one of the first where they're like, okay, not only do you need to go back, we need you to shoehorn in a faction and make it make sense. So it was a very, very big task. And yeah, Gav Thorpe's strengths are very much in character development, character driven, mm-hmm. deep stories with more established characters. And this, I mean, again, I didn't like Ashes of Prospero that much, but I loved that interaction between the Space Wolf and the Thousand Sun. I thought that was wonderfully done and that friendship of that softening of their walls mm-hmm. to make them kind of understand that was brilliant stuff. And he didn't really get a chance to stretch his wings there. No. So there's another quote I wrote down just because I was like, wow, this is how I feel reading this book. But I'm also kind of wondering if it was Gab Thorpe subconsciously talking about how he, he's feeling writing this book. Aeschylus is second in command talked about plasma flows and surveyor readings, but the captain was not sure there was anything coherent. It's kind of how I felt reading this book. Kind of, yeah. It was definitely a setup piece. And I've said this before, we've read books like this outside of the book club a lot where they are. So, and this is, if you've ever listened to my dissertation on <laughs> the Game of Thrones books, uh, one of the reasons that I really hated Feast for Crows was that, and Dance of Dragons, they were chess moves. They want to do something, but they have to get all of the figures in place. And this book really felt like we have some great ideas. It's really good stuff. But first, you kind of have to understand what this, how this is working and how this is going. So again, just a lot of little chess moves to make you understand this is the backstory. The people who haven't read the codices, this is the backstory of why the Necrons are now a big deal. That doesn't necessarily make it interesting book. Right. Just saying. Oh, I still like the cover. I mean, I... My God, this is still the nicest limited edition. Again, 
how it's like carved. Well, see, and I brought this. So I brought this. I went to visit my family last weekend, and my parents, Mm -hmm. like, this is so far. Not even close to their alley. I still went to to my mom's like, Mom, just check out this book. And she was like, oh, that is so beautiful. And it's carved in. And that's amazing. She didn't even ask me what the book was because she probably knew it was going to be answers she didn't care about. But even my mom was able to appreciate the beauty. And then when I showed her, like, even this, she was like, okay, that's really clever. It's like, yes, it is really clever, Mom. You know, the same thing. I had the same thing with one of my friends. She came over and I was like, because she loves good books or like fancy books. And so I was like, I gotta show you something. And sure enough, she was just feeling it. And she was like, oh my God. I know. So do not regret. I love Gav Thorpe as an author. I love the idea of where this is going. I'm excited we're reading a crime book next. Yeah. Like I said, it hurt me very deeply on the inside too have given this such such a low score and the sad thing is on goodreads if you look at the reviews they're all i mean they're mixed but the ones that are medium to like three stars and below all say about the same thing like this reads like a catalog for for these new models and that's unfortunate for for many reasons and i just hope that he'll still be able to write more books although we know he's gonna write a dark angels book soon and i'm so excited so, i'm so excited want to take us out carrie yes yeah, so I, I will otherwise i'm going to start talking about the dark angels and why you all should care about them but <laughs> anyway you've listened to warhammer 40k book club episode regarding indomitus by gav thorpe be sure to join us for our next book bloodlines by chris rate i just had to check what did i have this right set up <laughs> um <laughs> We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those good things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash wh40kbookclub. And our site also has articles about our adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crack. Good night, everybody. Good night. Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.